Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schockman. And I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Prats. And on this episode, we're doing crimes of the Cape Fear, apparently. Yeah, yeah, we have a, a lot to get through, and uh, I guess we can... Uh, the first one, we'll kind of caveat that and not necessarily say crimes because they're allegations at this point. Let's call it allegations of the Cape Fear. There we go. The first thing we want to dive into is something that isn't necessarily Wilmington local, but it is in our area, and it's something that has seen a lot of interest not only in southeastern North Carolina, but across the state and across the country. And we are talking about Columbus County Sheriff-elect and former sheriff of Columbus County, Jody Green. Yeah, so if you haven't been following along at home, and I don't know how you would have missed this story, this is um, the Columbus County Sheriff. Uh, this is not his first foray into controversy, but the most recent issue involves um, recordings released, uh, kind of an October surprise, mm-hmm. uh, by Deputy Jason Souls, I believe was his name? Yes, former captain with the... Uh, Columbus County Sheriff's Office, Jason Souls, and he is he was also uh, running against Jody Green for the sheriff race this past November. Um, he did lose that election, but in October he came forward to WECT with these recordings. And uh, Ann McAdams, she investigated it. We ran a big story on it, and essentially these recordings were made by Jason Souls back in, I believe it was early 2019. And for those who weren't around during this time, this is uh, Jody Green's candidacy was challenged way back when, um, when he first got elected. And it was alleged he did not live in Columbus County. Um, There's a whole lot of backstory there. You can go back and look at this. And while it's not directly related to the Bladen County uh, NC9 district with um, all the all the illegal ballot harvesting allegations and things like that. Uh, it is tangentially related here because you did have some of the same players involved in Jody Green's campaign. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Jody Green, the he does succeed in overturning the petitions. Uh, he had a piece of land in Columbus County where there was apparently a uh, mobile home or a RV camper of sorts that he was claiming that was his residency. However, everybody else uh, that was more in the know at this time, um, and I won't pretend like I was covering this because I wasn't at the time, um, said that he actually resided in South Carolina, somewhere in Myrtle Beach, that area. So State Board of Elections eventually overturned what the Columbus County Board of Elections said which was, no, you're not a resident of Columbus County, you can't be sheriff. He gets sworn in, and for the next four years up until now, Jody Green has served as sheriff. These recordings, um, uh, while a lot of people saw it as an October surprise, and, you know, it happened in October and it was a surprise, so take that for what it's worth. Um, However, Jason Souls has been adamant that he turned these, he tried to get people to listen to these recordings prior to when he released them to us. He even told us on camera, look, I didn't want to go to you guys. I wanted the proper authorities to handle this stuff. And it was, uh, he, he said he tried to turn it over to uh, the DA's office. He tried to go to county commissioners, all sorts of things, and wasn't getting anywhere. So these recordings, uh, 
unlike the Wilmington Police Department incident where we saw the recordings that we actually, you know, released a couple weeks ago, um, these recordings were Jody Green talking to Jason Souls, and this is after the election, before he was sworn in, um, and leading up to the election, about people within the department. Um, and because he was challenged, his candidacy was challenged, Jason Souls was made effectively the acting sheriff. And Jody Green calls him one night and goes on a, uh, a, a rant. He's convinced there's a leak within the department. He co- he's convinced there's a snitch. Within this recording, he goes on to say um, several racist statements. He, he says something along the lines of... Uh, he he does say the words black bastards. He says every every black you need to fire, things to that degree. So he wasn't necessarily even talking about uh, the people in his community, which is what we often see law enforcement. When we do see these recordings come out and there are allegations of racism, for the most part, it's typically against the people that they are serving and protecting, not those within their own ranks. Yeah. So a couple things here. One, um, yeah, we did get a lot of questions um you know, from people around the state who are interested in this story about why Souls appeared to have waited so long. And again, I'm glad that he he clarified some of that. And again, it is not unusual for people to want to deal with things internally. In mm-hmm. fact, there's actually, in some cases, some responsibility to deal with things uh, internally, to report it to IA, to report it to whoever your, you know, command is, to, to take it to the district attorney. Um, and I guess I would not be surprised to hear the law enforcement officer wouldn't see going to the media as the first recourse. So I can definitely understand that. Um, for better or worse, the relationship between law enforcement and media is fractious at times. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, as this story uh, developed along, um, there was a, another cluster of allegations um, that uh, District Attorney John David took up. And so these two things were happening sort of in parallel. All of this was happening as we're coming up to literally the last couple weeks of the election. And so Jody Green resigned as sheriff so that he could get reelected as sheriff, which is was kind of a head spinner for some people. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of walk through how this all happened. Once these recordings came out and that story came out and it became national attention. Um, and I, I will say it was likely that uh, I, I don't know for certain, but it is likely that John David, the district attorney over there, was, um, you know, proactively working on this. Once he was made aware of this, I don't believe that it was necessarily just a, a knee jerk reaction to, uh, oh, no, now this is out. Now I have to do something. I believe that he once he was made aware of them, um, he was he had things in the works Um And so the first thing is several there was a lot of fallout from this, obviously. Um, And John David filed a petition to remove Jody Green from office. Um, It is very difficult in North Carolina to hold sheriffs accountable for anything because they are constitutionally appointed positions. They are written into the Constitution. So very difficult. And I'm talking state constitution. Very difficult to hold sheriffs accountable. Uh, however, I do believe there's a caveat in there that says the coroner has arrest powers over the sheriff, um, which is just a interesting. A fun little lacuna of state law. Very interesting uh, tidbit. So John David starts this motion to, uh, I believe, first Jody Green was suspended from his office temporarily, uh, basically put on leave. 
Then John David comes through and says, okay, I am asking a judge to remove you from office. Um, And that would have been a legal proceeding. And the DA said there is some historic precedent here that says, um, you know, it was the previous precedent he was citing was a Hendersonville, Henderson County judge in Western North Carolina or a prosecutor rather um, that had to be removed. So on late October, after these proceedings were well underway, um, after Jody Green resigned from the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, he stepped down willingly. Um, the governor's highway safety program had pulled some grants that they were giving to them, saying, uh, saying essentially, we believe there are some uh, civil rights violations happening in Columbus County. We don't believe you're in line with the eligibility to receive these grants. The Department of Public Safety pulled funding for another grant program that they were going to be running. So this is having pretty big fallout throughout Columbus County, uh, not just within the community in terms of uh, black families, black members of the community saying, yeah, this is this is awful. The, the trust in law enforcement is shattered right now because of this, um, but also financial impacts and further reaching than that. So, yes, the day that Jody Green is supposed to be in court, in front of a judge, and John David is there to, you know, read his reasoning and present evidence as to why Jody Green should be removed from office, Jody Green resigns. And that doesn't put a kibosh on all of this. It is really just a stall. Um, So the petition to remove becomes moot, and John David drops it. But he does come back with a statement saying, listen, if Jody Green is successful in November, I will. Uh, it's my responsibility. It is my ethical obligation to file, and I re- will refile this petition to remove. Now, fast forward, Jody Green did win the election in November, and he is set to be sworn in on Monday, December the 5th. So... A, a wild ride that is not done by any stretch of the imagination. One thing I will say is uh, we, we've heard from folks in Columbus County here at HQR, um, and we've you know shared the ECT reporting with it, which they appreciate. It's I think there were a lot of people who were shocked that Jody Green won in Columbus County, but other people who weren't. And there were, there were sort of two arguments we heard in his favor. One was that um, this was all politicized and taken out of context. Um, which is sort of what Green argued. And then there are people who straight up believed that these tapes were fake. Yeah. And, you know, there's um, I will say I, I have the recordings. It's uh, yes, obviously there are deep fake capabilities and things to that degree. Do I think it's happening in Columbus County? Do I think that, you know, to this extent, Uh, Are people going through making deep fake recordings? And uh, it was more than just an audio recording. There was video, um, albeit very shaky and, uh, you know, just of a computer screen. Um, Yes, these things can be fake, but no. And and the other thing is Jody Green doesn't deny that that's his voice on there at all. Exactly. I I just think think it's interesting. This is something we will, I think, see more of in the future. But this is the first time where... We've had the smoking gun, yeah, and people are saying it's a fake gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the final thing I want to point out with this is, um, obviously, racism within law enforcement is a terrible thing. It 
completely, as I said, shatters the trust in the community and not just from minority communities because this does impact other people. Um, But obviously, minority communities are going to feel this the most. But there's more to this than just racism within the department. There are now, it's a 54-page petition to remove Jody Green, an amended petition. And John David has more than a dozen affidavits from people, uh, and he's alleging multiple things. Now, the legalese, I, I do want to say I'm paraphrasing here because the legalese is very specific when it comes to uh, allegations or alleged charges. Uh, we do have willful willful misconduct while in office, maladministration while in office, corruption of office, um, and multiple other things within here. And the evidence that he is presenting, that John David's presenting, I mean, you have a county commissioner arrested after disagreements with the sheriff. That was uh, County Commissioner Buddy Burt. Um, after the county commissioners did not approve a budget request that would have given significant pay raises to Columbus County deputies, as well as provide for a bunch of riot gear, the very next county commissioners meeting, there's there's a photo in this in this 54 page packet of like 20 deputies lining the sidewalks for where the uh, commissioners walk into their chambers. And they say, you know, this is an abuse of power. This is an intimidation tactic. This is a fear tactic. Um, there's allegations that I spoke with. Uh, I spoke with a woman out there who said that, you know, she was pulled over for swerving and they were basically harassing her. She's been an outspoken uh, opponent of Jody Green. This is actually uh, Gloria Smith. She's the woman that filed the initial petition against him back in 2018. Um, So there's a lot of allegations of more than just racism, but corruption while in office. There's a uh, there's allegations here that uh, John David says he has independent uh, evidence as well as recorded phone calls uh, about a sexual relationship, an affair with a deputy. um, And I believe it might be a detective within the department. Um, A lot of things going on here. Um, So it's more than and it's not to say racism isn't enough. That's awful. Um, But there is a lot more to it than just that. So uh, Jody Green's going to have a lot of hurdles to overcome if he is going to be sworn in on December 5th, which it looks like he will be. But John David has already promised that as soon as that happens, he is taking this step to remove him from office and this will all continue. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to follow that one. I mean, it's just a wild, almost comic book level of corruption, if true. Yeah. If true. Big, big asterisk. Big if true. Yeah, big if true. All right. Well, that seems like a good time for a break and come back and we can talk about additional allegations of the cave fear. All right. Let's do it. Welcome back to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schockman. And I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Pratz. So a couple other crimes and allegations of the Cape Fear. Um, Today, we're recording this on Thursday, I believe it's opening statements in the rape trial of Timothy Iannone. And ordinarily, we wouldn't, you know, devote time to a rape trial. Not that it's not a terrible crime, but, you know, there are unfortunately a lot of them we can't cover every single one on the podcast. Right. This one is interesting. Because District Attorney Ben David um, has 
been trying to get additional evidence and witnesses entered into this rape trial um, concerning the murder of two Wilmington women that date back to 2007 and 2006. Uh, and this is the disappearance and, unfortunately, ultimately, the death of um, Allison Jackson Foy and Angela Rothen. Yeah, so that's if you've been in the region a long time, you know these names. You know that these have been uh, pretty much unsolved cold cases uh, for the most part here. There have obviously been, uh, first and foremost, the suspect has been uh, Timothy Iannone, at least for law enforcement and for the prosecutors, but bringing those charges, and especially for the family as well. Um, they've been fairly convinced, and you've covered this story a lot more than I have. Um, give us a little bit, the, the Reader's Digest version backstory, dating back to uh, when these two women first went, were reported missing, and then ultimately found dead. Yeah, so in July of 2006, Allison Foy went missing. Um, her sister, Lisa Valentino, who I've spoken to many times over the years, um, and the family were, were concerned. Initially, um, from everything I've heard, police thought that this was a drug-related missing persons. They said some, you know, some kind of harsh things. They said they thought she was a junkie and that this was just what junkies do. Um, but once they got an, a detective on the case, I think the relationship between the family and law enforcement uh, dramatically I improved. Mm -hmm. um, there was one sort of detective who followed this for some time. And he was the one who thought Timothy Iannone was the only person of interest worth looking at. He had been seen at the last place Jackson Foy had been seen. Um, and for years, he was the one and only suspect. Um, now, there's two different versions of what happened next. The family, specifically uh, Lisa Valentino, said her and her father met with District Attorney Ben David. He said, give me a little more time, but I will convene a grand jury, which is how you bring felony charges. Mm -hmm. um, and in the grand jury, basically, you've got a room full of people, it's like two dozen plus people. Law enforcement basically goes into the room. It's a black box. The public never knows what happens in there. Mm -hmm. And prosecutors don't really have a lot of agency in there. Mm -hmm. So law enforcement just says to a panel of people, here's the evidence do you have. Do you think this is worthy of bringing to trial? Not do you think this person is guilty. But is there enough evidence in your mind that we should have a trial about this? And right. So this is where indictments come from. This is where felony indictments come from. And some prosecutors like these, some don't because they really don't have a lot of power. But that's that's how that works. And so but it's up to the district attorney to convene it. Law enforcement can't do that on their own. Mm -hmm. And so Ben David, according to Lisa and, and her family, said Ben David promised to do that. Ben David said he denies that, said he never promised that. And for years, despite the family's repeated pleas, um, there was never a grand jury convened. And I need to be very clear here, has never been charged with the death of Jackson Foy or Angela Rothen. So it's been years. This is, you know, 2006, they believe, was the murder. So, you know, a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, WPD actually at one point uh, purchased a new uh, sort of basically a DNA vacuum cleaner mm -hmm. uh, to try and get better evidence out of this. There's been, you know, Timothy Anthony has been arrested and uh, incarcerated for other crimes. There was a strange incident where he popped up on the south end of Wrightsville Beach um, with a BB gun, which uh, skirts the line of what he's allowed to have as a convicted felon, mm -hmm. um, sexual lubricant, and what appeared to be other sex toys. Um, not a crime, but creepy. Yeah. Um, and so now that we're in the rape trial this is not related to jackson foy or rothen but ben david is now saying hey we would like to introduce this evidence um and this could impact you know sentencing this could impact how the jury views iannone mm -hmm. um and it's also you know from the family's point of view this could be 
as close as they ever get to some kind of justice. Now, obviously, having someone arrested for a crime that isn't the murder of your sister isn't exactly what you probably hope for. But given Ioni's age and the usual sentencing for this kind of crime, it would be effectively a life sentence. So I can see how the prosecution might think this is as close as we're going to get to it. And introducing this evidence of witnesses would, at the very least, get this stuff on the record in open court. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know if the judge is actually going to allow this or not. Again, opening statements are today. Um, and even if they are allowed, we don't know if they will ultimately impact how the rape trial turns out. But when it's all said and done, we definitely plan to sit down with Valentino and her family and Ben David and try to lay all this out, how this happened. I mean, we are talking the better part of 16 years here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was actually in they actually had a a, a motion, a, a motion hearing uh, about a month ago before all this took place uh, where Ben David did present some of his arguments. I can't remember the exact codifying number of what this is, uh, but it's basically asking a judge to allow prior past bad behavior into um, into a current case, which is just very interesting that this is the first time when he when Iannone is not on trial for anything that has to do with these two missing and murdered women, um, but introducing that into this, which now I, I get into the realm of speculating, which I think is fair in this sort of situation. It's like, what what is the end game here? And, you know, the question is, if he is successful in getting this evidence introduced, getting these witnesses introduced, convincing a judge and the jury, and they do find Iannone guilty, is there the chance that you get him some sort of plea that says, hey, admit to these other things that is clear enough to these judge to the judge and to the jury um, that they believed it was relevant enough to introduce, which could be a signal to 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 the DA to say, hey, we could get that grand jury now. I don't know at speculation, um, but maybe at the end of it all, that's where it comes from because you, I I believe you could be looking at he could be looking at life in prison right now just for the rape and kidnapping charges that he's facing. Um, so if you could get roll in the other two crimes and give him some sort of plea deal if he agrees to that, uh, again, pure speculation on my end. I am not a lawyer. Um, I am definitely not a prosecutor. But it's just curious, and I have been asked that by multiple people. They've been wanting to know if that's that's what's happening. And I don't know. DA obviously can't say much about an ongoing trial. We fully understand. We don't want to try it out here and mess anything up for anybody's trial. Um so we'll kind of leave it there, I think, and we'll watch as that uh, kind of plays out this, this next week. Yeah, all I'll say is um, it would be fascinating to hear the case notes of WB, WPD Detective Lee Odom um, read aloud to the court. I mean, that's something I've been curious about for, you know, seven, eight years. So yeah. put a pin in that one. All um, right. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left. I want to talk about two other incidents of the last week. One was the um, Sunwing flight uh, divergence to Wilmington Airport. This was kind of a strange one. I'm not alleging anything conspiratorial. It's just that uh, it was very public, but we knew very little about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was this was a flight. Well, give me the flight details. Well, it, basically, it was a it was some sort of international flight, right? Um, not exactly sure. It might have been coming from Canada. I believe it was it was coming from Canada, headed to the Dominican Republic. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the yeah Sunwing Flight 410. 
Uh, around 6 p.m. on November 29th, they landed at ILM following what was called a security issue. Uh, Boeing 737, normal plane, uh, parked in front of the customs building, and we don't know. They're not giving us much information other than um, there was some sort of security threat, security risk. We don't know what it was, and that's kind of uh, troubling to you know, people in the area, number one, um, but obviously to the people on the plane as well. I'm sure they knew a little bit more than what, you know, the the public's being told here. Um, but all in all, just a very strange instance. Um, and it was, it was flying from Toronto, uh, going to the Dominican Republic. So, you know, almost there. Yeah, I mean, all we know is that, you know, the, the flight was obviously diverted, landed at ILM. Everyone and their luggage was taken off. Uh, off of the plane, um, the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office and some other agencies probably uh, brought out canine units, um, searched the plane, inspected the passengers and their, and their uh, luggage, didn't find anything. So mm-hmm. there was no explosives, no uh, no snakes, <laughs> no snakes on that plane. Um, and, you know, New Hanover County Sheriff's Office, we believe they're being probably as transparent as they can be. Um, but it seemed like they weren't even really <laughs> fully in the loop uh, about what they were what they were actually looking for, you know, in the past when there's been a bomb scare, uh, certainly people at the sheriff's office have been willing to tell us after the fact, oh, yeah, we were looking for a bomb. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes in the moment they're a little tight lipped because they're focused on whatever it is right. or there's, you know, some issue uh, of copycatting or, or whatever it is. But in this case, it's just not a lot of additional information. We do know that the um, passengers all got back on a different plane mm-hmm. and continued the flights to the Dominican Republic. Uh, we've heard from some folks at the FAA that that could be because there was still a security threat to the plane, or it could be a completely unrelated maintenance issue. Planes are only allowed to spend a certain amount of time mm-hmm. in the air before they have to refresh. We just don't know. Yeah, and it could honestly be just a little bit of peace of mind for the passengers. I'm not sure I'd want to hop back on that plane. Even if you told me it was good, uh, I'd still be like, yeah, is there another... Uh can I have a new plane? Yeah, exactly. So that might, it might just be for peace of mind, but ultimately, all's well that ends well as far as we know. Um, it does seem everything went okay after the divergence here. And yeah, it's, it, it's certainly interesting. It's a head scratcher has a lot of people talking. Um, but ultimately again, nothing, nothing bad that we know of besides the overnight delay for folks going to the DR, um, you know, happened. So that's the good news. And then the final thing we want to talk about is another situation that we we certainly want to be delicate about, especially with bringing attention to. And unfortunately, um, you know, social media is great. It connects us. It it spreads information rapidly, but it also can cause panic and fear very quickly. So we don't want to give too much time or merit to things like this, but it would be, uh, you know, it would be us sticking our heads in the sand to not acknowledge that something happened yesterday. And that is, uh, happening at uh, Hanover, New Hanover High School. Yeah, this was, and I think th- the reason this is worth talking about, had this been an individual prank for one high school, um, and this is what's called a swatting call. So this mm-hmm. is a, a more or less recent trend, although, I mean, I've heard examples of this dating back to the anarchist cookbook days. Mm-hmm. But basically the idea is people place a prank call, and, and prank is probably the wrong word because this has some really serious repercussions for for people psychologically and can have criminal repercussions. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a fake phone call, a bogus phone call to 911. 
um, to try and see what level of law enforcement um, reaction you can elicit. So obviously, the more SWAT tanks and Bearcats and you know armored personnel you can draw out, the bigger of a win it is for the the person trying to do this. It's it's pretty. It's pretty sad and sick behavior. Mm -hmm. But if it had just been one person doing that for one school, I don't think we would have had the same impetus to cover it. But there were at least 10 schools in what appears to be a coordinated, simultaneous series of 911 calls. Seven counties, 10 schools, um, Durham, Mecklenburg, Fayetteville, here in New Hanover County, all apparently received the same or even a similar or even the same call. So I don't know if automation was used. Mm -hmm. Um, and in, in every case, there was a SWAT or law enforcement response. In every case, it was determined to be a hoax. Um, a similar series of calls was made in South Carolina in October. And I've heard it's also happened in the Georgia school system. Uh, NPR has had some reporting on this where they actually traced the call um, across the Atlantic. Hmm. Um, in, so it was uh, based in Africa somewhere. Um, but certainly it's possible people were using phone relays. Right. So this appears to be far more sophisticated and far more coordinated than just a jerk uh, trying to ruin people's day. Now, specifically here in New Hampshire County, and I, I won't say too much about this, but basically an active shooter call in any school would be traumatic for teachers and parents and students. But you got to admit, it just hits a lot harder at New Hanover High School, given the shooting in August of 2021. We talked to parents on the scene um, who told us that their children are still seeing therapists or still in counseling, mm -hmm. that they are still shaken up from this. Uh, we talked to two people whose kids were actually in the catwalk during that shooting. Um, and obviously that's, you know, uh, this isn't about someone's hurt feelings. You know, if you're that close to gun violence uh, in a place where you don't expect it, it's... It, it's really traumatic. And so those parents were definitely freaked out. And this is not to disparage the sheriff's office or the school district in terms of how they got information out. Mm -hmm. Within a half an hour, I think we had as much information as they could give us. And they were very clear that there was no no gun was involved. There was no evidence of shooting and no one was hurt. But it's just social media works a lot faster than that. And we talked to multiple parents who got texts from their kids uh, who learned about this through TikTok. I mean, minutes after the, the call was placed, um, students were freaking out and mm -hmm. their parents were freaking out. And it's just that the reaction time necessary to combat that, um, I don't know if it exists. Yeah, no, I, I certainly think there needs to be some sort of change with the, um, as we've seen in the past decade, honestly, with any sort of ongoing event, people use, uh, you know, live tweeting is a thing that you get information out very, very rapidly, very fast. Um, and I, I fully, again, not to disparage anyone in law enforcement here, um, it's a ever-evolving situation, but countering that information coming out at the speed of a tweet that can go viral in a matter of seconds, that is problematic to say the least. And I'm not sure law enforcement, school districts, um, airports, any sort of organization is prepared to combat that, especially if someone has bad intentions and is putting out bad information online or has good intentions but gets the facts wrong. Um, you know, trying to push that all back in the can is very, very difficult. So uh, it will certainly be interesting to see in the future how, what sort of things people can come up with to push back against um, or just to combat that, that fake news, that fake information coming out, or the uh, well-intentioned but still 
bad information coming out. Yeah, last thing I'll say about this is the media has a real responsibility here because not everyone stands the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's no push alert system that people have signed up from law enforcement. Uh, there is for the school district, so mm -hmm. parents get automated calls and stuff like that. Um, but the public relies on the media to get, in situations like this, this is not the time for snappy headlines. This is not the time for, um, you know, anything but getting very clear, well-founded information to people as fast as possible. And I'll say most but not all media outlets did a good job here in our region on Thursday morning. There was one outlet where the headline said something to the effect of um, law enforcement response to call of active shooter at New Hanover High School, despite the fact that the sheriff's office had already said on the record at that point that there was no evidence of an active shooter, that there was an irresponsible headline. That is not the time for clickbait. Yeah. That is the time to put in the headline that there is this appears to be a hoax because parents were uh, losing their minds, and understandably. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess that also I will extrapolate that a little bit to uh, obviously parents want to know what's going on. Parents are obviously going to have probably the closest link with their students, with their children who are in these schools. Um, but I have seen on a lot of the Facebook groups where people start going rogue and people who, you know, that I personally know don't have children and don't have children in those schools uh, speculating making comments. So it's just be responsible about these things. If you don't know anything, don't add fuel to the fire by speculating because these are very real situations. As we've seen, unfortunately, they can turn deadly um, and they do. We were fortunate here and across the state not to have that sort of situation. But uh, any speculating, I know people want to talk about it. Talk amongst yourselves. Don't put it on the internet where everybody can see and extrapolate from information that just might not be accurate. So we'll leave it there. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of Port City Politics. We will see you next week. All right. We'll see you then.